beat, boy. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Friday. We're making it to the weekend. I'm gonna get you there. It's Friday wherever you're at. So coming up, there's major superstars on the move and also one's breaking the rules. Charles Barkley's calling the kettle black talking about NBA players' weight situation. And the LA Rams are telling you what they really think about their draft picks. Oh yeah, breaking news, Odell, he is out of Cleveland. I'm gonna explain to you what waiver wires are, all of that fun stuff. And to finish out the show, we're gonna play a little new game called Why So Upset. I'm gonna tell you why you should watch college football this weekend. Who's going to get upset even though we don't have any top 10 matchups. It's still gonna be a good weekend worth watching. As always, thanks for hanging out. I love getting entertained. I hope you guys get through the day, make it through on the podcast. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have ever used the sneakers app before. It's the bane of my existence, really. Anybody who knows me, y'all know that I love shoes. It's my coping mechanism, honestly. I feel like shoes just complete every outfit. Like, it doesn't matter what you have on. If you wear your shoes wrong or you wear the wrong shoes, your your outfit's wrong. Like, even right now, I got I got Jordan 1 Lowe's, neutral grays on. Um, so, yeah, I always rock with shoes. I, I buy way too many. But Sneakers is this app, and if you don't know what it is, is this app that Nike has where they release like the really exclusive shoes, like a lot of their Jordans will come out on there. And in order to avoid people hacking the system and booting everyone else out, what they do is you just join a draw. So like at 10 a.m., you have 10 minutes to put in. You like put in your credit card information, shipping information, and then they just draw it. And if you get it, then they ship into your house and then they charge you. But I don't know why I keep doing this, but I am always setting my sights so high to get let down so low every morning at 10 a.m. when I put in for these shoes, I end up never being able to get them. And I'm not dumb enough to pay three, $400 for a pair of shoes. So I took a couple more L's. There's like these Saquon Barkley. I don't know if you know the Bo Jackson air trainers from back in the day, but Saquon Barkley got some. He got his own signature sneaker with Nike and... Um, so yeah, super, super cool shoes. Those came out today selling for, I think close to 150 bucks retail, but they're reselling for over three, $400. I think just because of the culture, the tie to Bo Jackson, who Saquon Barkley is. So pretty cool stuff. Okay. So there's a whole lot to get to because there's also this new story with the former owner of the Phoenix suns. There is a Georgia linebacker who's being accused of rape We have so much to get to. The first thing I want to hit off the top, though, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on this because I don't really care that much about Aaron Rodgers. I think he's a punk. I think he's a loser. I think he's narcissistic. But I also think he's one of the most talented people to ever play football. Okay, so yesterday I told you that I didn't care about the fact that Aaron Rodgers wasn't vaccinated. And I still don't care about the fact that he wasn't vaccinated. This is what I do care about, though. I've always hated... People who think that they don't have to keep the rules, but I do. Now, sometimes you're just better get you're a, you're better at getting away with it than I am, and if that's the case, then I nod my hat to you. But it doesn't mean I'm not still pissed off. So the reason that people are so upset, and this came out, I mean, I did a little bit more of a deep dive, but a lot of it came out after I recorded yesterday. So the reason people are so upset about this is because. It's not only that, it's not just the fact that he wasn't vaccinated. 
it's the fact that when you're not vaccinated in the NFL, there are certain protocols that you have to follow. The NFL will say, okay, you don't have to be vaccinated. But if you're not going to be, there are certain protocols that you have to follow that the rest of the players don't. Some of those protocols being the following. So if you are vaccinated, you can't leave the city on bye weeks, which a lot of the guys do. Like I know Zach Wilson was working out with one of my buddies at BYU. Uh, I believe last week when the Jets were on a bye before Mike White became a god. Or if you're on the sidelines, you have to be wearing a mask. There's all these other protocols that if you're not vaccinated, you have to adhere to. So now we have the news, okay, well, Pat, or Aaron Rodgers is not vaccinated and he has COVID. And now we're coming to find out, okay, well, if he wasn't vaccinated, because then you look back, well, he definitely is left on a bye week. And he also, you can look up pictures. He's standing on the sideline without a mask, which we'll get to how you want to feel about the whole mask situation and the vaccination second. In a, but from this, from this point, this is where it's at. He was breaking protocol. So then, okay, well, did the Packers know? Well, they had to. There's no way they didn't know. And then you, the NFL, well, did the NFL know? Because if they knew and they didn't do anything about it, then that's also problematic. Then you come back full circle. Well, what about all these other quarterbacks, guys like Carson Wentz, Kirk Cousins, Cole Beasley, who also didn't want to get the vaccine, but they followed the protocols anyway. And then you look at guys in other sports like LeBron James, Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins, all these other dudes who say, wait, I didn't want to get the vaccine either, but I had to, and I followed protocol. It's a scary world you live in when, A, people think they're above the rules, when they're above the law, and when they try to skirt those rules and deceive and, de and, and be deceptive. But if we're being honest, haven't we always known that Aaron Rodgers was this way? Like, hasn't Aaron Rodgers already pretty much told us exactly who he is? He's non-confrontational. If he doesn't want to talk to you, he's not going to talk to you. If he wants to get something done, he's going to do it. And Aaron Rodgers, which is this is the most problematic, I think, of everything. Aaron Rodgers is a control freak. He's power hungry. And not only is he power hungry, he's power hungry to the point where it's almost a little bit immature. Because he chose to ruin the NFL draft. When he blew it up, when he blew up Adam Schefter with the news that he was pissed off about at the Packers. A year later, super petty. It's like posting about your ex like three months after the relationship ended. Or throwing people under the bus. It's just a raw deal. Does that. The Packers try to do everything they can to get him to come back. And he's still... Very troubled. Causes a lot of issues for the Packers franchise when they just want to keep winning. And to their point, it's a, it's a chicken and egg argument because, I mean, he still has gotten them or they've gotten him to consecutive conference championships. But the report is... And everybody else is furious at Aaron Rodgers for doing this. Because originally it was, wow, look how dumb he is for not being vaccinated. But then you take a layer off the onion and you say, wait. 
if he's not vaccinated, how did he get away with all of this? Okay, so he's furious, right? That's the report. Reports are that he's absolutely frustrated with his news about not being vaccinated being leaked. This is my issue with it. From an NFL perspective, I don't care. From a human perspective, I do care. So let's get let's get back to how do you feel about him having to wear a mask on the sidelines even though he's not vaccinated? If you don't want to work for a company, and this is the argument I made yesterday, if you don't want to play in the NFL, you don't have to. Nobody's forcing you to. In fact, there's millions and millions of kids who that's their dream. So if you don't want to play, then don't. But honestly, companies can do whatever they want. Now, there's there's a couple of stipulations to that, but in reality, if I want you to put on a monkey costume and dance and post a video of it. If you don't like it, then go work somewhere else. Now, it's an exaggerated example. It's hyperbolic, but you get the point. If you don't like the conditions that a certain company is putting on you, then either pull a union strike and say, look, we collectively are not doing this or stop working for that company or just shut up and put up. Because right now that's Aaron Rodgers' issue. Like, I get it that you're upset that your vaccination status was released. But also, you said you were immunized when you weren't. And you knew you weren't and continue to not follow protocols. Now, the other issue with this is, I have a hard time believing that the Packers didn't know. And because they didn't know, means they're pretty accountable. And then the NFL has to also either say, yeah, we messed up on that one. Or they can try and throw it under the rug. This is what I think is going to happen. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are not on good terms at all. Obviously, even to the point where they're under the assumption that Aaron Rodgers is leaving after the end of this year. Okay. So now you're in a tough spot if you're Aaron. Because you're already pissed off. You hate the media. You think you're above the media. But now, you either have to hope the Packers cover for you, or they get to throw you under the bus. And if I'm being honest, it, I hate people that are petty. I hate people who abuse other people's respect. And I think Aaron Rodgers has done that a little bit. Aaron Rodgers is probably going to get thrown under the bus by the Green Bay Packers, which I have no issue with. He absolutely deserves it because he's a jerk and he thought he was above the rules, which I don't care. I don't care what the rules are. You signed a contract saying that you would follow these rules given out by your employer. If you don't like those rules, then you can quit your job or you can quit your job because that's your only option or you can protest. Aaron, you don't get to masquerade around doing whatever you want, whenever you want. And to be honest, that's always been his thing is he's always thought he was untouchable. He's always thought he was the most deserving. He's always thought that he was the best, the most suave, the whatever. The guy used to flirt with the sideline reporters in his uh, post-game interviews. Like he asked that one when he was at Cal, like when he was in college, asking girls to come over and watch TV in his bed with him. Not in a misogynistic way, but he's just always thought he was untouchable. 
And now you're at a point where the people you've trashed, you need them to cover for you. And I'm going to bet that they're not going to, because if they cover for you, not only are they going to, they won't make everything go away. Like this isn't one of those things where they could just do you a solid and make it go away. If they do you the solid, they're throwing themselves under the bus under the ex- under at the expense of the public eye and at the expense of the NFL. So, and all you've done is trash them. So what motivation do they have to give you the benefit of the doubt and to say, no, we'll go to war for you. Because if the situation, if the circumstances are different then maybe they do. Like if you're with your boy, like I will go to, I will go to like war for any one of my boys. Like I would go into the military if it meant saving one of the boys. Like I really would. This is not the same scenario though, because you're asking the Packers to go to war for you, to go to bat for you when you've shown them, no, I'll throw you under the bus whenever I feel like it because I have the power. This is just a poor life mantra. And I honestly genuinely wonder, he's dating uh, what's-her-name from those Divergent movies, super cute girl. I wonder what it's like to date Aaron Rodgers because we already, like, this is nothing new. He doesn't have a good relationship with his parents. He doesn't have a good relationship with his brothers. He's a jerk. And he thought that he was, it's like everybody, we all know someone like this who is, absurdly not even confident but just cocky like he was so convinced he was getting the jeopardy job when he obviously wasn't like from what i've read there were no plans to make him the full-time host of jeopardy but he masqueraded around like he was going to and honestly aaron's probably going to get canceled which it's funny that he's recently come on and talk about hating cancel culture but he supports other certain things that would lead you to believe that he just doesn't want to get himself canceled, but he's not super uptight with the idea of other people getting thrown under the bus for certain things that he doesn't like. So yeah, you can be furious, but also you don't get to rob a bank and then be upset that a cop shot you, especially if you're armed and dangerous. Like, Aaron, this, what do I always say? We get to, you get to make your choices. You don't get to make your consequences. Consequences are exclusively tied to your choices. So does it suck that now everyone's going to know you're not vaccinated? Yeah, but you were kind of masquerading around as a lie to begin with. So I don't really feel that bad that they found out that you were lying. Like, if someone lies their way into finding out that you're cheating on your spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. Like, was it wrong of them to lie? Yeah. Do I feel that bad for you? No. And to that extent, you realize in the criminal justice system, like, in interrogations, a police officer can lie in order to get a conviction. Granted, it doesn't look very good for you if you don't, but Aaron, you were lying to all of us. So... Was it unethical in the way that it was released that you aren't vaccinated? Maybe. But I don't think anybody's crying about it. But that's what happened. That's karma. Karma's a B, huh, Aaron? Okay, so that's that. 
Next thing, Odo Beckham breaking news. Odo Beckham is out of Cleveland. This is problematic for a few reasons, but I'll get to the easy stuff first. So here's the deal. So there's when you're released or, well, I guess, sorry, they've waived him. Being waived is different than being released, but he is no longer in Cleveland. Let me explain what I mean by that. So a waiver. So if you've ever played fantasy football, you know what a waiver wire is. Waiver wire, and maybe you don't because there's a lot of people who don't. But let me explain it to you what waiver wire means in a fantasy football sense. The day after, so in fantasy football, the game day is Sunday and Monday. So on Tuesday, when you go and try to add guys to your fantasy team, you can't add them. You can claim them, but you can't add them. Basically, here's what that means. So Odo Beckham in this situation has been waived, which means he's no longer with the team, but not just anyone can go out and get him. You have to clear waivers first before you can. Now, the way waivers works is you basically get put into a list based on priority. So this is the list as it would look right now. These are the teams in order that can get him. So Detroit's number one on the list. Miami's two. Houston's three. Jacksonville's four. Jets five. Giants six. Washington seven. So, and we just go down the list. Now, if you are lower on the totem pole or lower on the priority list. So like, let's say Arizona wanted to go out and get. Um, wanted to go out and get Odell Beckham. They put in a waiver wire, a waiver claim for him. They, if somebody who's lower on that list, higher on that list, however you want to call it, like if you have a higher priority, if you are Detroit because you're number one, Miami's two, you get priority over Arizona. And I believe, I, I think this list is built in order of win loss record. Somewhere along those lines. But if you're at the bottom, you're probably not going to put in for him because you're just going to wait for him to hit the market. Here's the other deal with waivers. If you pick him up off the waiver order, you therefore have to pay his salary. The issue is there's a lot of guys who don't want to pay that because Odo Beckham was pretty costly. So, Odo Beckham is being waived by the Cleveland Browns. There's a list of, in order, how people can pick him up. And if you're higher on that list, you get higher priority. The issue with the waiver is you have to be willing to pay the salary. So, that's the difference between waive and release. If he does, if he passes waivers, passes the waiver wire, meaning that nobody... Because, honestly, if you're one of these top teams, you're not going to go out and get him because you don't want to pay that salary... And you don't need him desperately enough that you would be willing to. The issue is once he hits, once he's released, he can go wherever he wants. But when he's waived, anyone who wants him can put a claim on him and they immediately receive him. The issue with this though is a little bit different. And I think it's, we're, we're creating a certain brand of athlete when we do this, but you don't want to play for a crappy team then you pull like dan marino did where he's or not dan marino john uh what's his name john elway where he told the giants he wouldn't play for him and they didn't draft him as a result okay 
I think you're getting to a spot where guys like Odell, guys like Ben Simmons, and this obviously Sixers are handling it, handling it a lot differently than the Cleveland Browns were. But the Cleveland Browns have said, okay, fine, we don't want to waste you, and we're not going to pay the rest of your salary because you're a waste of our time. I do find it interesting, though, that they couldn't find anyone to do the deal because either they didn't because the trade deadline was either yesterday or the day before. So either what happened was you couldn't find anyone who gave you a deal that was worth it. And honestly, why would you? Because if you're a team wanting to trade for Odell Beckham Jr., if you know he's not if he already has beef and we've known that there was beef for a long time, the data told you the Baker and Odell thing wasn't working out. They weren't efficient together. Baker has an ego and so does Odell. So if you're a team, it's the same situation with the Houston Texans. Why would you give up more than you have to when odds are they're probably going to have to get rid of him anyway? So, The only upside to doing a trade, and honestly, there isn't a whole lot of upside because then you have to give something up when, if you wait it out, there's probably no one else who's dumb enough to give up more than you will. So, so yeah, you don't trade him because you don't have to give anything up and you don't have to pay the full salary. So they restructured his deal so that maybe someone on waivers would take him. They restructured the deal. I'm going to bet that nobody is going to claim him just because it's not going to be worth it because any of these teams who have the ability to pick him up, Detroit, Miami, Houston, Jacksonville, the Jets, the Giants, none of them, A, have elite quarterback play or B, have any shot of winning anytime soon, which neither are things that Odo Beckham wants. Okay, so odds are he's going to be waived. That's what I believe is going to happen just because of the mentality. If this is a guy with a better attitude... I don't even think we're in this situation, but if we are, somebody probably claims him. But that's how waiver wires, waiver orders work. So then we have to look, okay, well, where makes the best sense for him to go? Well, Vegas has the odds right now. Vegas odds for Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham Jr. Vegas odds. Let's see. The number one odds, I believe, are the Oakland Raiders. That's the highest odds right now. It's 1,600. Plus 1,600 that he goes to the... um, Sorry. Plus 1,600 he goes to the Las Vegas Raiders, which makes a lot of sense for a couple of reasons. Okay, so... Sorry, 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 sorry. Odds right now... Three to one New Orleans Saints. Well, this was as of yesterday. There's not a whole lot. Obviously, the market's got to reset because he just got released today. And as I'm doing it right now, that was an hour ago. So Vegas odds got to adjust. But as of yesterday, the odds were three to one New Orleans Saints because Michael Thomas is a bum. And outside of Michael Thomas, they have absolutely no one to throw the ball to, not named Alvin Kamara. Baltimore Ravens, seven to two. Las Vegas Raiders, four to one. Buffalo Bills, five to one. England Patriots, five to one. And I'm not even going to go through the rest. Now, out of all of those, it looks like some of them have adjusted and the Chiefs have rise, risen a lot to being in play for him, the Raiders. But I don't think any of those are going to be the ones who come for him. And I don't think any of those are the best ones. Okay, so yeah. 
odds have set Raiders plus Raiders, then Ravens, then Saints, then Bills and Patriots. So pretty much exactly what I just told you. I don't think any of those are the best option for him. And this is why. The Raiders are coming out of this. uh, They're coming out of the gate with the whole John Gruden thing. You have the Henry Ruggs thing. You would probably get a lot of targets, and Derek Carr is a solid, solid football player, and they're leading their division right now, but I don't think the Raiders make the most sense for Odell Beckham Jr. Well, let me tell you what I do think. To me, the best possible spot for Odell Beckham Jr. is the LA Rams. Because first of all, we know Sean McVay is a young man's guy. We also know he's one of the most creative minds in football. He's he's not going to get run over. He's a player's guy, but he's not going to get run over. And they're probably headed to a Super Bowl. If we're being genuinely honest, and we're going to get to that in a second. But also, this is just a very solid football team, and it's been that way significantly increased by Matt Stafford playing the quarterback position instead of Jared Goff. To the point where Cooper Cup looks like the best wide receiver in the league. Easily the best fantasy wide receiver in the league. So, you have Odell Beckham Jr. And guess what? What are we? This is the other thing we know about these idiot. I shouldn't say idiots, but these guys like Ben Simmons, Odell Beckham Jr. They like where they live. Odell Beckham has never loved living in Cleveland. From the day he got there, from the day it took him late to get there, we knew he didn't want to be in Cleveland. And New York City, fun, but it's cold. Not what Odell loves, considering he's from Louisiana. Okay. Odell Beckham Jr. already has a house in L.A. And he gets to live his L.A. lifestyle. He gets to have a good time. He gets to keep vlogging and all that fun stuff. And in this incredibly creative offense, one of which they lost um, Cam Akers to start the season. So their run game isn't terrible, but it's not what it was to start. The offensive line is great. Mass Stafford's an elite quarterback. And it's not like he has a crazy group of competition to play the wide receiver position that would prohibit him from getting good looks like he would if he goes to another place that people are throwing out there, which is the Chiefs. The Chiefs make absolutely no sense to me. A, they're a 500 football team. They're not leading their division. And... Yes, it opens up the field when you have Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. But just because it opens up the field doesn't mean you will catch the ball more frequently. Probably what it means is you'll get more looks defensively and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are just going to find more ways to get open. So I don't think the Kansas City Chiefs make any sense at all. But I do think Odell Beckham heading to the LA Rams is probably the best possible situation. Okay, so let's talk about the LA Rams. The LA Rams are playing checkers, while, playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers. So, so we talked about the this this sneaker concept, right? This app that I use to buy sneakers. Sneakers. The issue with it is you really, you genuinely are playing the lottery. You're hoping you are selected to get a pair of shoes. You're hoping your order pans out. This is the issue with that. And this is the same issue with the NFL draft. 
there's no solidarity. There's no history to tell you, okay, I'm going to get it this time. It's a lottery. Yes, there's indicators, but indicators aren't necessarily solidarity. They're not 100% of the time they work. We know that because Bill Belichick is one of the greatest coaches of all time, and he can't draft a wide receiver to save his life unless he's sub, five, sub six foot and he's white. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it doesn't necessarily pan out. Pete Carroll, same issue. Can't draft offensive linemen. Now, there's some guys who can hit and some guys who can't. And the issue is you waste a draft pick oftentimes in the first round and you only get one of those. And so you're one, two picks from another guy who ends up being DK Metcalf or a guy who ends up being insert Dak Prescott, Miles Garrett. Like I think, and they were doing this before, but I, I think maybe what they realized is, okay, this Jared Goff thing with the number one overall pick, it was a waste of our draft. Like, Jared Goff was mediocre. You you could have gotten a quarterback with the same level of talent as Jared Goff in the third round. Easily. But what was their issue? There was nobody else worth drafting in the first round. And kids are going to look back and say, how was Jared Goff a number one overall pick? I ask that question every day. It's not necessarily the Rams' fault. There was just no one else to pick. Evident by the fact that Jared Goff is now the starting quarterback for the Detroit Lions. There isn't anyone to draft. And you can say, oh my gosh, I think the Rams only have two picks in this whole year's draft coming up. You tell me. Let's look up the NFL draft prospects for coming up. This year, who would be worth a draft pick for the Los Angeles Rams? I'm going to pull it up right now. 247 Sports on Instagram. They got a good mock draft that they always put out. Okay, so let's look at it. Here we go. Okay, so the, the best, the number one prospect that they have is Kayvon Thibodeau going to the Jets. Then they have Evan Neal, the O-lineman for the Alabama Crimson, or for Alabama Crimson Tide. Then Derek Stingley, a quarterback. Then a DN from Michigan, Kyle Hamilton at safety, DeMarvin Neal at Texas A&M, Matt Corral, quarterback, Andrew Booth, corner, Kenyon Green, Texas A&M, and then another offensive tackle from NC State. Okay, Kayvon Thibodeau. They don't need Kayvon Thibodeau. And they also don't have a draft pick that high. So it doesn't make any sense for them for needing to go up and get somebody. And if the, if the best guys are what we have, I don't think any of these guys are world changers. And they don't need a quarterback, which is really the only thing that it's hard to find in the league outside of free agency. Like, you don't, you don't trade for quarterbacks usually that change your career. The reason it worked with Jared Goff is because Matt Stafford didn't want to be there anymore and they didn't want Jared Goff. And Detroit was in a lose-lose situation. We, there's people who come and they change the world with different mentalities. Like they introduce a new idea. Like I talked about yesterday, chaos. Sometimes chaos brings the best ideas. There's been this idea for the longest time. Oh, well, we have to have draft picks because it's the only way to rebuild our team. And the Rams have told you before, we don't care about that. 
We'll just trade for guys and we'll piece everything together and we'll make it work. We'll go out and get Jalen Ramsey. We'll go out and get Brandon Cooks. We'll go out and get Andrew Whitworth. And they give up draft picks. And now they've done that with Von Miller. With one of the best... We... Playing with the Rams in Madden is so fun. Because the pass rush is elite. This is how football works, right? The less time the quarterback has to throw the ball, the better. Because... The back end, the secondary, can only cover for so long. The problem becomes, if your pass rush is elite, you have to get the ball out quicker. The problem with that is, your coverage is elite. So now, your only real option is to try to run the ball. But you have a stuff run stopper on Aaron Donald in the middle of that defense, who moves all over the place, so you can't even game plan for him. Well, now you're going to add Von Miller on top of that, who has the most sacks of an outside linebacker the last five years. Von Miller looks like if De'Aaron Fox played linebacker. Like, Von Miller just doesn't look like he should be able to do the things that pass rush that he does, but it's because he's so fast and so uber-athletic. And people freaking out saying, oh, well, the Rams don't have any draft picks. What are they missing, though? Like, yeah, you can say we don't have draft picks, but okay, what would they go out and get in the draft that they don't have now? Okay, cornerbacks. Nope, we got those. Jalen Ramsey, and for the life of me, I can't figure, remember what the other guy's name is, but he had a pick six in the playoffs last year against the Seahawks. Okay, so that's not an issue. Linebackers. Okay, we just got Von Miller. You have Leonard Floyd. That's not an issue. Aaron Donald is leading that defensive line. And you can say, oh, well, he's down in sacks. Yeah, well, so is J.J. Watt since he won MVP. That's just because that's what happens when you triple guys on the D-line. But guess what? Is the defense still efficient for the Rams? Yes. It's not that the defense is bad. It's just that when there's three guys on you, there's not a lot you can do. It just opens the hole for other guys. They traded Kenny Young, who was an amazing young linebacker. Because they didn't need him as much as, no, it's all right. We got, we got Von Miller coming in. We didn't know that at the time, but we do now. Okay, everything else. Run game, good. Better than the Chiefs. And the Chiefs are starting to struggle a lot because of it. And I think the Bills are on that same path because the Bills has absolutely no run game. And you can't pass on first down every single time. Again, another issue. And then you have Matt Stafford, who is starting to look like the MVP candidate that I always thought he was. Detroit is just where football teams go to die. I honestly question whether or not Detroit should even have sports. Like, let's be real. No one, they never win games. The Detroit Pistons haven't been good since Rasheed and Wallace and the boys and the Malice at the Palace. And the Detroit Lions have never been good. You could say, oh, well, they had Barry Sanders. Yeah, but those football, those teams never won games. Neither did Calvin Johnson. It's just the culture of the city that sucks. And the Rams are telling you, hey, watch us play football a lot. Watch us change the game because we're telling you right now draft picks don't matter. And what's dope about it is they've realized everybody else thinks that they do matter. Everyone else thinks these are so important. So the commodity, the value of them, how, what we can give away for them is so much more valuable.
because everybody else thinks it's liquid gold. But we're telling you it's not even worth our time. And this is why Sean, Ve- Sean McVay is a genius. Now, did he get lucky hitting on Aaron Donald? Yeah. But it's also easy to get guys there when everybody wants to live in L.A. Everyone who's young wants to live in L.A. Because it seems like the dream. Lots of attractive people. Attractive weather. Good times. It's pretty. This wouldn't work if you were Green Bay. Probably wouldn't work in Seattle. But it might work if you are New Orleans. If you are Miami. If you are places with nice weather and nice vibes. And again... The Rams did this before and got to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff at quarterback. And the same receiving situation. Tyler Higby, Gerald Everett, Cooper Cup. Um, I can't remember what the... Uh, oh, Robert Woods. Same situation. But you trade for enough guys, you get things to work out. Okay? So, Los Angeles Rams, hats off to y'all. I think they're the best team in the NFC. I think they're better than the Cowboys. Even though Stephen A. Smith thinks the Cowboys are the best team in the NFC. But, like we know about the Cowboys, they will find a way to let you down. In the fact that Dak Prescott doesn't ever seem like he could get healthy. Okay. So there's your Rams. Next thing. So, I'll just hit these two really quick. Because I don't think that they're huge issues. And I really don't want to talk about them. So... There's this story and you've probably seen it and you probably haven't looked into it. And it's honestly probably because the same reason you are into sports is because you like to avoid actual drama. The reason we like football is because it's artificial drama. The reason we watch reality TV is because it's artificial drama. It's not real. It doesn't really matter. So there's this story about the son's former owner being – there's an investigation. There was a story written by ESPN – Um, with allegations of racism, misogyny. So allegations are tough. The allegations like this, a lot of he said, she said, because there's no physical um, acts. It's a lot of just verbal. So there's quotes. Supposedly he was talking about making jokes about owning certain members of the staff, talking to them as inventory. Apparently, there are people claiming he used the N-word several times where he claims he only used it once and it was just to repeat a sentence that another team said, another player said, which you can say sounds crazy, but we saw the same thing at TCU a couple of years ago. This is tough because he said, she said is pretty difficult to validate. Right, like unless you have tape and an intention is also everything. And so I'm not discrediting the people who said he was racist. I'm not validating him for being racist. I'm just saying it's hard. Especially when this is years ago. This wasn't recently. But there are people who exaggerate when they're frustrated to get certain people thrown under the bus. Again, TCU is a good example. Sean Oakman's another example. Sean Oakman's career, and this is where I want to get into this Georgia linebacker. It's hard, honestly, to talk about rape and sexual assault and these issues that are very uncomfortable for us to discuss. And they should be, because they're not easy. The problem is, again, 
it's hard to verify. When you're involved in sexual acts with another person, I'm not in any of these situations, but I imagine sometimes if it's just going well, how are you going to at the end say it's not consensual? Like it's either very consensual or it's very not. But I think it's easy for you to say that it's non-consensual. And I don't know what happened with this woman, but it's being reported. There was a report that this Georgia linebacker, Adam Anderson, who was very talented. He's, I believe, at eight sacks on the year right now. Maybe seven. There's a report that he is under investigation for rape. So that the the story is that it occurred the night before they flew to Florida this past weekend, or the, the before they went down to Florida to play the Gators. She claims to have showed up at a house in Atlanta sometimes between 12 and 7 and was drinking and smoking. And then she just remembers waking up in bed next to him. Now, she also said when she tried to leave, he did not force her. He allowed her to leave. I'm just giving you the facts. This is what they said. I don't know whether or not he did it. If he did it, it's that is very saddening and disheartening, and he should be removed from football immediately. My only issue is it's hard to validate. And the only reason I say this, and I just use Sean Oakman as a good reference, because Sean Oakman was a stud, absolute animal defensive end at the University of Baylor. And then we find out right before the draft, there's rape allegations and nobody would touch him after being so talented as a college football player. Well, court cases later, we come to find out that he actually didn't do it, but the allegation ruined his whole career. And so I don't know what happened with either the Suns owner or the Georgia linebacker. I'm just saying allegations themselves can be very threatening, very harmful. Now, if they're true, then they deserve to be harmful because they're not necessarily harmful, but they're truthful. And in this situation, I hope whoever is at fault gets what they deserve. But I pray if either of these men are innocent. Now, it's hard when you have lots of witnesses with this son's owner, and I'm going to bet that he might not be innocent because a couple acts, a couple... Comments about racism is one thing, but racism mixed with misogyny is a whole other thing that's pretty hard to just fabricate with that many witnesses. So odds are something sketchy probably did happen. The issue with the Georgia linebacker, though, is a little bit different. And again, we do see this happen. Like domestic abuse is and assault is a real thing. We saw just this past season with the offensive lineman, Chad Wheeler, I believe, for the Seahawks. He absolutely beat that woman. Greg Hardy absolutely beat that woman. Now, abuse, I think, is a little bit different than assault. But regardless, they're all terrible things. And I pray that whoever is in the wrong gets what's coming to them. I just hope because Nolan Smith is very adamantly denying that this happened. And if he didn't do it, then shame on this woman for making it up. And if he did do it, then shame on him. And I hope very bad things happen to him. But that's the deal. That's the issue with this Georgia linebacker. 
So we'll see how it comes up in the next couple of days. We'll see what happens to him. This next thing, Derrick Henry. Okay, so Derrick Henry's injured. People, do you realize how frequent it is for running backs to be injured? Like the three best running backs in our league are all injured. And Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley both injured last season. And Derrick Henry is out for the season. Here's the issue. A lot of these guys, when you're that good at the running back position, your usage skyrockets. Derrick Henry is over the average usage rate in the NFL in terms of the amount of carries that he takes on. And the thing with Derrick Henry is you can't arm tackle him. Like a lot of these guys you can bring down in different ways. Derrick Henry, you have to pop him. And the issue with being a running back is when you're a wide receiver, if you're getting injured, it's probably on air. Your odds of being injured as a wide receiver just running on air are pretty slim. Unless you tear ACL running the wrong route or whatever. This is nothing new for these running backs. Running backs have always been the most the those injured at the highest rate in the NFL and in football. Because their usage rate is so high and because they get hit by bigger bodies than anybody else. Because at least when you hit an offensive lineman, you're not there to take them to the ground. But when you put that much wear and tear on a body, especially a body that's that big, that's why Saquon's having the same issue. The human body is only built to handle so much. Like weight, power, and torque can only be handled so much by the human body. We know that. But Saquon, his issue is he's too powerful for his own body. Derrick Henry might have the same issue. And the issue is if you just, like, it's the reason that Ryan Tannehill in the past game looks so decent. Because you're so worried about loading up the box to stop Derrick Henry that you have almost no power sitting back to stop the pass. Derrick Henry is probably the best running back of all time, in my opinion, because he's too big, too fast, too strong. He's everything we said Derrick Rose was back in the day, except he's bigger, faster, stronger, and he runs a 4-3-40. The NFL's got to figure this thing out. Like, the Chiefs have it figured out. Like, how often do you see Chiefs critical Chiefs players being hurt? Not that often, right? Like, we don't see Tyreek Hill hurt that much. We don't see Ch Travis Kelsey hurt that much. The only time Patrick Mahomes was really hurt was when he had turf toe. But we've seen this before. Leonard Fournette had the same issue. These running backs are used more than anyone else, and they get hit more than anyone else. And especially if you're in the SEC, the boys you're getting hit by on the other side are all five-star elite grown men who happen to play in college. That's why these running back by committee, these teams who do that, you keep your running backs a lot healthier. Like you can look it up. These people who run committee running back systems. Now, granted, you have to have running backs who are all of a certain talent level in order to trust them that often. 
but it's the reason the reason the Ravens keep working. It's because you have so many running backs. I think the the Ravens were just unfortunate in the way it happened, but you have so many guys running the ball that there's not so much wear and tear. And when you get tired, you don't stick your foot in the ground the wrong way and end up tearing an ACL. Derrick Henry is probably going to go down as the greatest running back of all time. And again, we'll have that conversation another day, but I don't think there's anyone better than him. And there are anything that will be. He's a human specimen that we will never see again. He's like if Julio Jones was more consistent and played running back. Just too big, too fast, too strong. But you find it's coincidental that these super elite college running backs are the ones that are getting hurt. Now, obviously, it's because they're the best, but also it's because their usage is higher than anyone else. And playing running back requires more wear and tear than any other position. You have more contact put on your body than any other position. There's a reason the number one stat to keep track of running backs besides yards per carry is yards after contact. Because it's in given that you will be hit multiple times on every single play. The question is, how many times will you get hit before you break it off or you get out of bounds or you get tackled? It's the reason the Colts are so successful. Naeem Hines and Jonathan Taylor are both elite. You don't have to put so much wear and tear on one guy because you're not worried about giving it to the other. And this is a major issue in the NFL, and I think you're going to start to see. It's the reason Georgia has always done this. They had Todd Gurley, Sony Michelle, and Nick Chubb all on the same team at the same time. Alabama the same way. Alabama had Alvin Kamara and Derrick Henry and uh, whatever that guy's name is who got drafted by the Lions for the life of me, I can't remember. Less wear and tear means they're more fresh, means their body can do what it's supposed to do and doesn't have to take shortcuts, which inevitably end up leaving them injured. So this whole Derek Henry thing, like it's not a coincidence. There's so many, all of our top running backs are getting injured. It's I pray it doesn't happen to Jonathan Taylor. And I don't think it will because I think the Colts are a lot more smart, a lot more conscientious in how they use their running backs. But you when you look at it from the standpoint that these, these big SEC bodies play against all these five stars in high school, and then they get the ball handed off to them because most of these SEC schools run a pro-style system you run into quite a few issues, okay? So the NFL has got to move into a committee running back system or you're killing the golden goose and you're not going to be able to use that running back at all. So last thing before we get to uh, why so upset. So Zion Williamson injured once again, which is very problematic. And there's a lot of people are upset about I'm not going to say fat shaming, but Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal poking fun at Zion Williamson's weight. And you can be upset about them, but I feel like they're pretty qualified to make jokes in that department because both of them, neither one of them got a six-pack running around. But it is an issue. And it's this narrative that hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard. When you're really talented, I talked about this yesterday, when you're really talented, you don't feel the need to work that hard because a lot of them know that their talent will carry them pretty far. This is the difference between Luca and Zion. Because 
in the pandemic last year, when they when they told everybody we could, you they could come back, everyone was like, "Dang, Luca looks a little big." And there was this quote about Luca that Luca can just look at a hamburger and gain fifteen pounds, which I believe. Luca's issue is that he's like me. No matter how how much you work out, you just gain weight a little bit easier than everybody else. And some people have it worse than me. Some people have it worse than Luca. But Luca knows his body. And he also knows how much he loves the NBA. And he says, I'm going to choose to love the league more than I love my food. Zion's issue is always going to be, again, like we talked about earlier with Derrick Henry and Saquon. There are some people who the weight to power to torque ratio is just different than everybody else's. That's a problem. It can be, especially when you add more weight to a power ratio that is already abnormal. Zion has always had way too much power for any human body. And when you add more weight to that, you have to have more power and you have to have more durability, which you don't have. He's up to 285 pounds, people. There are three people in the NBA who weigh more than him and all of them are seven footers. One of them is Boban Marjanovic, who's 7'6", or 7'3", and the other one is Taco Falls, who is 7'6", and then the other one is Nikola Jokic, who is also a 7-footer, who's always been a little bit big. But Nikola Jokic doesn't play this game in the same way with the same speed and power that Zion plays it with. And Zion's issue is, unfortunately... He doesn't seem like he cares that much about how much he weighs or how what he does with his body. Because if he did, he would eat in a better way to keep himself slimmer. Because if we remember how elite Zion Williamson was in high school and college. Like absolutely unstoppable. Like 60-inch vertical, could yam on whoever he wanted, but he also had the speed to get down the court faster than your best point guard. And that was so fun to watch. And since he's gotten to the NBA, he just tried to transition with his weight, and it's worked. But his body can't sustain that for that long. It's why he played only 44 games his rookie year and hasn't really been able to do anything since. People, if you want to be great, you have to want to be great more than you want anything else in the world, more than you want to eat, more than you want to sleep. Luca knows that. That's why Luca watches what he eats because he understands his body. He understands he puts on weight a little bit differently than LeBron James does. A little different than Zion, or a little bit different than De'Aaron Fox and Lonzo Ball do. He understands, and that's why Luka's one of the best in the game. James Harden, same issue. James Harden put on a ton of weight because he thinks he can play the game a certain way. Okay, well now that way of playing to just get fouled is not working as much. So how much do you love the game? Ben Simmons, Aaron Rodgers, Odo Beckham. How much do you really love the game? That's what it's coming down to. And for a lot of guys, it's coming down to not that much. How much does Dak love the game? A lot. How much does Matt Stafford love the game? A lot. How much does Luka love the game? A lot. Same with Trey Young. Because they all have disadvantages that they choose to overcome. Trey Young's got a height issue. He chooses to overcome it by just working and eating better and performing better. Okay? So, if you want to be great, you have to want it more than you want absolutely anything else in the world. You can't just want to be great because you want to do because you want what football will give you. That won't work for you. Okay? 
All right, so you know my bread and butter is college football. That's what I know more than anything else in the world. So we got a week 10 coming up. We got playoff committee coming up on Tuesday. There was a meeting yesterday or the day before to go and um, talk more about this 12-team playoff that's coming out in a few years. So here's your best matchups. So tomorrow, 12 a.m., you got Liberty, Mississippi. You got Wake Forest, UNC. You got Ohio State, Nebraska, Penn State, Maryland. Auburn, Texas a is our only ranked matchup. Then you have Tulsa, Cincinnati, Michigan State, Purdue, who some people are saying are upset alert. I don't think so just because of the way that Purdue plays defense and the way Kenneth Rocker runs the football. We have LSU-Bama, Oregon-Washington, Indiana-Michigan. But we're going to play a game called Why So Upset. So I have a list of the top five matchups that I think are primed and posed for upsets this weekend in college football. I'm going to give you the matchup and tell you why it could be an upset. Now, if you're betting money, I'm not telling you to bet on this. But I do think there are a lot of upsets that we were primed for because there's a lot of guys who are we might catch slipping this weekend. Okay, first one. Nebraska versus Ohio State. The big noon kickoff game tomorrow at noon. Let me tell you about this Nebraska football team, okay? Nebraska has played three teams in the college football playoffs current top twenty, top ten. Oklahoma, Michigan, and Michigan State. They've already played all three of them. And you might say, wow, well, Nebraska sucks, right? Because they've only won four games. Every single one of those games was a one-possession game. They lost to Oklahoma by seven. They lost by one touchdown. They lost to MSU by three, and they lost to Michigan by three. They lost by one possession. All of these games were one-possession games. And I'm pretty sure that the Michigan defense is significantly better than this Ohio State defense. But they held both Oklahoma and Michigan to 23 points. They're also number two in yards per game in the Big Ten offense, total offense. And they're, number, they're top five in rushing and passing. They're also top five defense in tackles for loss in the Big Ten. And Oklahoma, Ohio State's defense has only held two teams this season to single digits. Akron and Indiana. Everybody else they've given up double digits to. So the defense isn't elite. Like we're not, this isn't the defense you're accustomed to seeing. And a not very good Penn State team with very subpar quarterback play almost beat them. So I'm, and big noon kickoff, I don't know why, but those games just always seem to be entertaining no matter who the matchup is. So I'm telling you, Nebraska could upset Ohio State tomorrow at noon. Okay, next game, Cincinnati and Tulsa. Part of the segment should just be called what need, like what can happen for chaos for Cincinnati. Because if Nebraska beats Ohio State, that's another big thing. I don't think a two-loss Ohio State team gets into the playoffs. Depending on what happens in the Big Ten, we'll see. But I will say Cincinnati and Tulsa is prime for an upset alert, and this is why. Tulsa dropped 20 points on Ohio State. They're also number three in yards per game in their conference. Cincinnati is not. Cincinnati's offense is not what you would think it would be, what you would think it should be, considering who they've played and who they beat and by how many points. But they're not even top three, top five in yards per game in their own conference. 
they're also both top five in sacks. So this Tulsa pass rush is going to get after it. The issue with Cincinnati is they don't come out hot. And so they give you, as a lesser team, they give you a lot of chances at the beginning of that game to say, hey, we'll roll with you. Because Cincinnati seems to do this thing where they only play up to the level of competition of the other team. Which is very poor and will not fare you well against teams that are actually good at football. But I'm telling you, Cincinnati is on upset alert against Tulsa because we've seen them slip, seen them slip, seen them slip. But if they win this game, they can make it to a bye week and probably have a really good shot at blowing out the rest of the season. But we'll see. If they lose to Tulsa, I think their season's over. And I'm telling you, I think it could happen tomorrow. Because every time you check your phone when you wonder what the Cincinnati score is of the week, two weeks ago it was, oh, they're losing to Navy. And then last week it was, oh, my gosh, they almost lose, they're almost losing to Tulane. So all that being said, I think that could be an upset. Oregon-Washington. This one's really intriguing because University of Washington has an elite defense. And you're going to say, oh, well, they lost Montana. They're number one in the Pac-12 in yards and points. And if they're number one in the Pac-12, that means they're better than Oregon. Oregon also is missing their best running back in Travis Dye. Oregon also lost to Stanford. So this whole thing is going to be a defensive battle. The Washington offense is not elite by any means. The Oregon defense, the pass rush is good. Linebackers are good. Secondaries are all right. We will see how elite they are. But again, we've already seen they can lose. They're human. They lost to an unranked Stanford team. It would not blow my mind at all, especially with the way Washington plays defense. This is going to come down to a one-two possession game. I I would bet that there's only two or three scoring plays for either one of these teams, like either a couple field goals, a couple touchdowns. Like It's not going to be a high-scoring game. It's not going to be like a Pac-12 game we're used to seeing because both these defense are elite compared to the offenses on the other side of the football. Next game we have today or tomorrow is LSU-Alabama which is also a pretty big deal because it seems like LSU Alabama is similar to Georgia, Florida, who no matter how good the other side of that ball is, both teams come to play because the hate is real. And I'm going to be honest with you. I tried to come up with stats that show that somehow LSU could pull this out, but Auburn is number two or Alabama is number two in defense in the SEC up against Georgia. Like they're up there. And same with offense. They're one of the most elite offenses in the SEC. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I just have a feeling just go with my gut on this that there is some shot that LSU makes this a close game cuz Texas A&M made a close game and Texas A&M and LSU is right up there. And yes, I understand the coaching changes. I understand O is out. But they came to play against Florida a couple weeks ago. It would not surprise me if they say we are not getting steamrolled by Alabama. Last game that is worth you watching tomorrow is UNC Wake Forest. Because we're going to find it. I find it very interesting that Wake Forest is still undefeated. And, like, let me just read out to you some of their scores that they've they've put up this year. Okay. I'm not going to argue with you the defense is amazing. It's not. 
but they dropped 42 points, then they dropped 41 points, then 35, then 37, then 37, then 40, then 70, and then 45. Their lowest scoring performance of the year is 35 points. And they're undefeated. Does the defense give up a lot? Yes. Have they been in a lot of close games? Yes. But to me, I don't know how you can't argue that Wake Forest and Oklahoma aren't the same. Barely beating subpar competition, putting up a ton of points on offense. So they're both three and four. UNC and Wake Forest are both three and four in total offense. Both of them have elite quarterbacks in Sam Howell and UNC and Wake Forest has Sam Hartman. This is going to be one of those like Washington State games where you just see him air it out for 70 points. I think this is just going to be a major shootout in the ACC. And we're going to see what UNC does. Because after this, Wake Forest has NC State that's a tough game. Then they have Clemson that's a tough game. They have Boston College that's a tough game. So, again, if you're Cincinnati and you're rooting for people to lose, Wake Forest is the team to beat. Because I think if Wake Forest wins out, that's a tough schedule. NC State's a decent football team. Clemson has a decent defense. If Wake Forest pulls it out, goes undefeated, and blows out the, the ACC championship, it will be very, very interesting to see what happens on the back end of this. So, that's why so upset. There's going to be a lot of upsets. There's probably going to be some I didn't even call. That ranked matchup is going to be really good. The Ole Miss, the Texas A&M Auburn game as well as the Ole Miss Liberty game. Both going to be really, really fun games to watch tomorrow. As always, that is my time. Y'all have a good one. Cheers.